Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. for joining us for another episode of the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. Being innovative is one thing, but putting innovation into practice is another. Our guest on this month's episode of the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast is someone who has spent all of his transportation career intimately involved with innovation. Since December 2016, Greg Winfrey has been the CEO of the Texas A&M Transportation Institute and for the six years prior to that, he was the Assistant Secretary in the U.S. DOT's Office of Research and Technology. Today, we're going to talk about what it takes to move innovations into practice and the important role both researchers and practitioners play in this process. Greg, welcome to ITE Talks Transportation. Hey, well, thanks so much, Bernie. It's great to be back in your company and look forward to a, a great and engaging conversation. We're going to be talking about innovation. And that's really very apropos because ITE Spring Conference is coming up on March 15th and 16th. And the theme of the conference is innovations that work. Now, given your long history in leading organizations working to advance innovation and to help move those innovations into practice, I'd like to get your thoughts on how this can be successfully accomplished. You know, that's a great question. And I guess my first observation is an eyebrow raise at innovations that work. You know, I've been a armchair tinkerer. I have a couple of patents of my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's my, I guess it's my thesis that all innovations work. Uh, the question is, do they have applicability? Do they solve a problem that needs solving? So, you know, looking at the uh, supposition that innovations all work, I like to delve down into that secondary line of questioning, which is really in line with what we do here at TTI and others in the transportation research space, particularly those on the applied research side. So from my way of thinking, um, it's innovations that can be readily implemented. And one of the mantras I like to use here at TTI is uh, real world solutions for real world problems. That's utilizing expertise, that's utilizing you know, wonderful education and, and, and motivation of the experts on our team, but that's to address problems uh, that the traveling public faces uh, right now. There's kind of two ways to look at innovations. So if you look at it from the basic and the exploratory side, those are the folks that come up with wonderful ideations and widgets that sometimes need to find a home or an application. But uh, looking through our end of the kaleidoscope, it's uh, again, taking that brilliance, but devoting it to uh, problems that need innovative approaches for solutions. So innovations that work to me are those ideas that turn into solutions for near-term or even long-term problems that haven't had a solution present itself. So it's kind of a unique way to look at it, looking through the other end of the telescope. Again, so for my altar, all innovations work. But the real question uh, is, 
is there a problem or are they solving a problem that has not yet been identified uh, or are they presenting a, a, a solution in search of a problem? Mm-hmm. You've led innovation at the federal level with the USDOT Research Technology and Innovation Administration, and you're currently leading one of the premier transportation research organizations, TTI. Share with us some of your thoughts, if you would, on the state of transportation innovation today and some of the key opportunities you see on the near-term horizon. Looking at, at how we sit today, we're really in a tremendous period of upheaval uh, in transportation. Things have been relatively settled almost for 100 years, dating back, uh, if we want to be honest about it, to the first Daimler horseless carriage. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot has changed. Certainly, safety, uh, implementation, and, and thought processes have become uh, more important and moved to the fore, or propulsion technologies have gotten more modernized. But the basic four wheels and something smoky that makes it go forward uh, has been around uh, since those uh, early days. But where we are now with the advent of clean transportation, and by that I mean certainly electrification, vehicle electrification, but also technologies like uh, hydrogen and fuel cells, which have had uh, significant investment in the past two decades or so, and other propulsive technologies really promise to change how people move about. You know, that's really the the motive power and the scale. I I think we need to look at things like connected vehicle technologies. And, you know, we're in somewhat of a period of flux as uh, radio frequency spectrum becomes a challenge or, or access to it has become more challenged. But you know, the idea is out of the box. One of my grandfather's favorite sayings was you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> so now that the idea of vehicles being able to communicate with one another or communicate with infrastructure to heighten uh, occupant safety and mobility efficiency, now that that idea is out there, it's only a matter of time before industry, academia and others, government researchers, et cetera, and regulators agree upon a platform that facilitates that exchange of data and information. So that idea is out there. Obviously, automation is out there, automated vehicles, self-driving. You know, we already have advanced driver assistance systems that I call autonomous systems, where the vehicle helps the driver operate in a more safe manner. So All of these technologies are coming to a head at the same time to fundamentally change what had been a relatively staid manner of moving people and goods from point A to point B. So uh, there's a lot that's coming down the pike. There's a lot to look at from an innovation in transportation uh, perspective, up to and including even the terminology that we use. We're no longer focused on transportation as static or staid modes of transportation. We're looking at it more holistically and using terms uh, like mobility that Mm -hmm. is more inclusive and recognizes the multi-modality ideations like supply chain, which uh, although I think we can agree that the movement of goods over time has been a specialty, even dating back to the uh, conversations about logistics, But looking at it now from a supply chain, literally considering uh, manufacturer to to end user, 
is more of a holistic thought process. So looking at all of these changes to mobility writ large from everything from uh, surface to air to water and how things get from point A to point B has changed this industry and these concepts that we used to know as transportation. So innovation is the bow around this entire enterprise. And I think this is an unprecedented time where a lot of new ways to do old things are before us. Greg, given your involvement with innovation at the federal level there at TTI, You can perhaps provide a unique perspective on this because you're also a lawyer by training. And I've had instances in my career where someone has come up with an idea and it gets shot down sometimes fairly early in the process, even before any lawyers are involved with it because of, quote unquote, legal concerns. We live in a very litigious society. How do you balance caution and innovation, which often involves taking chances? No, no, you're absolutely right. And and that's uh, definitely a great question and looks right at the balancing act of the blind lady of justice holding the scales of justice. So there is a balancing act weighing that necessarily underpins those kind of twin edges of the same sword. So, you know, one of the benefits uh, that I've been able to develop on the lawyering side, even though I was a Uh, a trial lawyer for many years, I also had had an expertise in intellectual property. So um, just understanding trademark, copyright, trade secret at the front end, patent law uh, particularly, is a good way to, from a cost-benefit perspective, assess the benefits of moving forward with an innovation, looking at things like prior art and what's already been out in the marketplace of ideas and whether or not uh, something is dissimilar enough to warrant uh, further investment. You know, that's part of the front end considerations uh, whenever an innovative idea or product is or widget is developed. Uh, But then on the back end, you know, you need to consider patent infringement, you know, IP infringement uh, matters and product liability. So there's a lot that goes into it. But I would say, There is always a need to push the envelope with new approaches. The question is, how does one do that uh, without incurring uh, harm or injury? Uh, And I think that's why uh, having proving grounds, uh, you know, where you can test ideas or test products or, or, uh, you know, and, and I'm thinking in this instance of roadside safety hardware like we do here at our Relis campus, having the ability to do that in a closed environment where we have absolute control over the test protocol and enough uh, safe space to allow for things to go wrong if they do, because that's part of the scientific process. Sometimes you learn more from something that goes wrong than from the things that go right. Being able to test uh, safely, being able to test Uh, to ensure repeatability and safety before it's put out uh, for public consumption is the best way to go. And then that allows you to um, experiment as freely and as broadly as possible because you don't have the back-end issues that come if a product is released too soon. And, you know, part of my background is uh, I've worked in several industries that 
lent themselves to that manner of thinking. So I was in commercial and industrial chemicals and plastics. I was in a uh, major pharmaceutical company, and then on the back end in natural resource and in mining. So in all of those, you're dealing with potentially dangerous products on the back end or dangerous processes, and they have to be managed safely uh, before the products on the front end or before the liberation of natural resources on the front end are ever exposed to human contact. So that kind of gives me a broad perspective. You can kind of call it cradle to grave, if you like, Mm -hmm. on the front end of the innovation process to the back end, where it necessarily uh, needs to interact, uh, again, either with the uh, human traveling public or human consumers and end users. We'll be back with more discussion with Greg Winfrey right after this short break. Do you want to reach more than 16,000 transportation professionals? Podcasts like this one are a great way to reach a dedicated audience of listeners. Sponsoring an ITE podcast is a cost-effective way to gain exposure and build brand awareness. ITE offers podcasts on key issues like mobility as a service, safety, connected and automated vehicles, and transportation systems management and operations, ensuring your message is heard by the right people. For more information, contact Tima Good at tima.good at the ygsgroup.com. That's T-I-M-A dot G-O-O-D at the ygsgroup.com. I noted earlier that the upcoming ITE Spring Conference is going to be focused on innovations that work. Getting innovations into practice usually requires commitment on the part of both the researchers and the practitioners. What can researchers do to help ensure that the new knowledge they're developing finds its way into practice? And how can practitioners, on the other hand, help facilitate getting these innovations and ideas out onto the street? I would say one of the best ways to do that is, quite frankly, to have innovators be in touch with the end users for whom their products are intended. And I think that's the beauty of organizations like ITE that bring together parties from diverse backgrounds and diverse areas of industry to talk about these challenges uh, so that the folks on the innovation or the academic front end can hear directly from those who need to do implementation or from asset owners as to what their challenges are and stay connected on producing, again, those real-world solutions for real-world problems. I I think most innovators would like to think that they're closely affiliated or attached to the solution they're providing, but that's not always the case. I mean, you know, the Apple iPhone was literally created out of whole cloth. Of course, telephones have been around for a long time, but the smartphone concept was a leap of faith. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was a brilliant leap of faith, taking known technologies and improving upon them as opposed to coming up with something completely out of whole cloth. So there was enough of a track record of what end users in that instance would be attracted to to take that leap from a company like Apple. But, you know, some of the criticisms I'm starting to hear now, particularly in the uh, self-driving automation sphere, is, you know, who is this for? Do we really need it? As we have fallen now into the trough of disillusionment from all of the hoopla at the front end about what these technologies promise to bring in the near term, 
as time has gone on and as the process for getting there has become more apparently complex than uh, many in the innovation space thought, in that gap is where you start to start to get the naysayers and the questioners. So again, staying staying close to uh, the folks uh, that would be implementing your solution is the surest way to get uptake in, in the near term. But many would argue that's not often the most exciting way. If you want to create something out of whole cloth, that's not necessarily the most exciting way, but that's the most efficient way to ensure that what you as an individual or what your team of researchers and experts has developed or has been working on has a suitable market on the back end when it's ready for production and ready for prime time. When it comes to transportation and innovation, understandably, a lot of the focus is on safety, trying to reduce fatalities down to zero, serious injuries as well. What innovations do you think are critical to implement us to move closer to those kinds of goals? The towards zero death ideations, and some would say quest for zero, as we had it at my mining company, they are challenging because there are a number of different factors involved. There is, if you're looking at um, vehicular safety, there's the OEM side, but equally, if not more important, is the operator side. Mm -hmm. And then by extension is, you know, what kind of safety hardware on the roadside can be implemented to increase the safety profile. Um, So there's no magic bullet to get us there, if you will. It's going to take an elevation from a safety culture perspective. We won't get to that number until we have effectively come up with means to prevent impaired driving, whether that's alcohol or uh, in the states where other intoxicants are now legal, including prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Until we figure out appropriate means to limit or eliminate the ability to operate vehicles under those conditions, that zero number becomes not unattainable, but certainly uh, much more difficult. So it's it's a combination of factors, uh, but I would say human factors are and remain the most challenging, the most pernicious, and the one that requires the most attention, uh, because at the end of the day, it's the human behind the wheel, it's the human who left a bar intoxicated and stepped in front of a vehicle. Uh, It's the human who's not paying attention on their e-bike or other means of transport that ultimately puts themselves into harm's way or creates an unsafe situation that can have a harmful or fatal outcome. And that's despite all of the means with which we can implement Uh, whether it's roadside safety, whether it's vehicular safety, airbags, anti-lock brakes, you name it, until there is a true cohesive safety culture, it's a laudable goal, and it's a goal we should never take our eye off or take out of the center of the bullseye. But it will be a attainable but difficult goal until we have an honest conversation Uh, nationally, as well as internationally, about how to address this. 
to wrap things up, I know you have a lot of projects that are underway at TTI, some that are currently underway, some that you've recently completed. Any that you'd like to tell us a little bit about that might be of interest? Well, you know, in our Center for Transportation Safety, and that is a, a part of TTI that's funded by the Texas legislature, they offered a challenge, particularly in this toward zero death realm uh, with an eye toward, you know, adopting a goal of zero fatalities on Texas roadways by 2050. And just for interest, it's been well over 20 years since there's been a day without a single fatality on Texas roadways. So that's why we have in the hashtag in the street TX uh, as a means of raising that public awareness around this obstacle that's been before the state. But and, And we're not unique. I mean, this is a a nationwide challenge. What we see and what our data uh, reveals, uh, as well as data from NHTSA and, and other data amalgamators, is that the most significant roadway fatality scenario involves uh, usually a young male driver off a rural roadway into a tree. Uh, matter of fact, I posted on uh, LinkedIn shortly after the winter holiday. Uh, I was out for my day after Christmas annual motorcycle ride and came upon that exact scenario. A young man in a pickup had spun out on a wet road and crashed into a tree, and he was very fortunate to escape with just a minor scratch. But, you know, it just drove the point home about the challenges on our rural roadways. And the reason it's say significant challenges. Yes, we have major cities, uh, some of the largest in the world across this country, but the majority of the U.S. is rural, ex-urban, rural, but roads that aren't urban roads. So just from an exposure perspective, there's a greater opportunity for these crashes to occur. So our safety center uh, worked with TxDOT to develop a safety scoring tool, and that scoring tool is now mandatory on all rural two and multi-lane, non-access controlled roads, state highways, but non-interstates, you know, that have controlled access. And the idea is it gives road developers and other developers a online-based tool uh, using just a basic spreadsheet. You don't require, it doesn't require any particular training or expertise, but it gives you some um, step-through Q&A that helps identify uh, ways to make roadways uh, safer. It doesn't give you the answer, but it shows you the impact of decision-making as those roadways are designed and developed. So uh, depending on where you are in the state of Texas, some of our roadways are somewhat elevated because of the underlying soil is expansive and, and that kind of contraction and expansion can cause cracking and spalling and all of the other uh, technical terms that my pavement material team uses. But, you know, it causes inconsistent roadway surfaces. But there aren't uniformly guardrails everywhere. Some of these roads uh, have an angle that pitches down to a wooded area. So you need to be really mindful of your vehicle dynamics and how you're driving in order to ensure you know, your own safety, as well as the safety of your passengers. So that's what this safety scoring tool uh, has provided 
to developers to give them the consideration for, we call it a vortex of safety. It's kind of like an upside down matrix triangle that helps them look from a funnel perspective at what's most effective at the front end and what are the results on the back end, everything from guardrail placement to warning signs to um, rumble strips. That's another important feature on our roadways and roadways around the country to give drivers the opportunity for almost like a haptic response. You can feel when you run over a rumble strip, but you can also hear it. Mm -hmm. So if you're drowsy, it, it helps snap you back to attention. So there are a lot of means to make roadways safer. But at the end of the day, it's in the human's hands, as we talked about at the front end. Uh, human factors uh, remain a, a significant contributor. But we're, we're thrilled that TxDOT has made this tool mandatory on rural roads around the state. Um, it's early right now, so I can't say that we've got empirical data as to how much it's improved the safety profile, but just from our testing, and again, on our proving grounds, we're able to do so in a safe and enclosed environment. It's shown uh, to provide benefits, so we're just thrilled about that. And uh, you know, there are there are many other things we're we're working on here, getting ready for vehicle electrification, uh, as many are around the country, and being uh, remaining involved with GPS and position navigation timing technologies, because those underpin where our next generation innovations in vehicle safety and efficiency uh, will roll out. So thrilled to be here. It's been a great, a great move and a great progression for what I was doing uh, on the federal side. Well, certainly innovation is something that's an ongoing nonstop process in the transportation world. So I'm hopeful we'll have some opportunities to talk in the future about where innovation is bringing us and some of the things that maybe were on the drawing boards at one point that we're now starting to see being implemented. Thank you so much, Greg, for taking the time to uh, chat with us here on the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. No, my great pleasure and more than willing and happy to be a guest anytime y'all will have me. <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you so much, Greg. Hey, thank you, Bertie. You take care.